Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our morning worship. Good to be able to gather together to worship the Lord. Trust that you picked up the bulletin this morning, and uh, we got sound back there, Nathan? Yes? All right. Okay. We trust that you've picked up a bulletin because, you know, the activities for the week, the announcements are in there, and uh, just good to have even uh, with you the list, the prayer request list that you can, uh, during your time of prayer, you can look at that list and remember some of those people there. All of them, if you want, that's just fine. But uh, you'll know as you look at that list. Uh, We're glad to have uh, Michael Smith with us this morning. And uh, Kirk Sinclair will be with us this evening. I realize, uh, you know, evening service for some uh, is uh, not part of your habit, but, you know, as we uh, come to uh, spring, uh, maybe it's something that you want to put into your calendar and say, I'm going to try and attend evening services this year. And it's a good thing to gather together in the morning, in the evening, and whenever we can to worship the Lord. I'd ask you now to turn uh, to your hymn books for our call to worship. And uh, turn to page number after the, uh, the readings, uh, after the uh, index at the back. You'll find the page numbers, 758, and there's a section called Responsive Readings. And I'd like you to turn to 758, that is page number, and number 29, it's entitled The Beatitudes. So that's page number 758 in your hymn book. The Beatitudes. I'm going to ask Michael to lead us, and he'll be reading the part that is uh, in lighter uh, gray color, and we'll be reading the bold print together to the end of that section. Okay. Stand then together, and Michael will lead us. The Beatitudes. And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, the disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his faith, wherefore shall it be salted? May the Lord bless the reading of his word, may we remember what we have read.
in a small town in South America. Exquisite rugs are made entirely by hand, and you may have seen some of that handiwork. Freshly shorn sheep's wool is first washed in a large pot of water, and it's heated over an open fire. Detergent is added to remove natural oils and grime using a wooden paddle. And the workers then rinse the wool in the river. So I could try to imagine what was going on, the simplicity of it all, and just doing it all by hand. And because it was wool from sheep, that interested me as well. Because we used to have our sheep shorn too. You know, then though, the craftsmen examine the wool. And they, they set aside the purest white wool to be used in its natural color. Now, the wool that is not pure white is put back into the large pot and heated again. This time, dye is added to the flawed wool to make the bright colors needed. After the dye process, the wool is hand-spun into thread. Brilliant masterpieces of color and design are made of the pure wool and the wool that was flawed. The dye covers the flaws and makes the wool attractive and useful. You and I can look at ourselves and see many flaws, many failures. However, just like the wool that could not meet the standards of pure white, we can still have value. See, the Lord Jesus Christ has died on that cross for our sins. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, God not only forgives our sins, he covers our flaws with himself and makes us beautiful and useful. Imagine that. You and I, beautiful and useful as we trust in him. As we daily submit ourselves to him, we become part of that design, the design of his perfect will, like that beautiful rug there's not one of us whose life is too flawed with sin to be used by God. I don't know about you, but I've heard people say, not me. God could do nothing with me because I'm too far gone. Not true. There's not one of us whose life is too flawed with sin to be used by God. It is true that the Bible says that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and that as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And also this, that our righteousness, what we think is good, the Bible says, it's like a filthy rag. Oh. Filthy rag before the eyes of God. It's not a pretty picture of us. It's not. And not much value then is seen in us. However, our value, and let's remember this, our value comes not from who or what we are, but from what God makes of us. In the book of Titus, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, we read, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. So, to be of any value, we need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb, the blood that was shed to purchase our salvation. 
And only Jesus' blood can accomplish this wonderful change in our lives. We're made clean and pure as a result of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we trust in him to make us what we ought to be. Michael. I could just take a minute and thank everybody for their prayers. Um, just wanted to update that Aliana is doing a lot better, and uh, she had the flu, and uh, uh, she got dehydrated, and but she's she's on the mend, and uh, we're thankful that uh, we experienced a, a faithful God through it all that has a plan. So thanks again. So let's go to prayer. Thank you, Lord, that we can be found listening to your word in your midst, in your house. We praise you. You deserve all the glory and the honor and the worship. Help us, Lord, to do these things better. Help us to get to know you so that we would definitely glorify you. Help us to understand ourselves and who we are and the poorness of our state. Help us to learn to do what is right in your eyes and not what we think is right. Help us for, to understand that every one, of, every one of us has to transform from one place to another. It takes time. May we all be patient with each other. Fill us with your spirit. Guide us. We know that you're a faithful God who keeps his promises. We thank you, Lord, that you've forgiven us for our sins. We thank you, Lord, that you've loved us to do what you've done. Pray, Lord, for our church. We need a pastor, someone to guide us. We thank you, Lord, that we have your people that are willing to go out into the world as missionaries, we pray for them. Pray that you would send them with your spirit. We also pray for all of those that have physical illnesses. Lord, be with them. Comfort them. Guide the doctors and people to make the right decisions. We also pray for everyone that their spiritual well-being, their spiritual illness is addressed that we would see our need for Savior. Thank you, Lord, for pointing out to us that we were poor in spirit, and that we were lost. Thank you, Lord, that we see now that without you, we are still lost. But with you, we are amazed and at what you can do with a people like us. Thank you for transforming us. Please help me, Lord, to say what you would will. Please use my voice to tell your word, say your message. In Jesus' name, amen. The hymn, O oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. And would you stand with me, please?
Thank you for taking the attention away from my mistakes. Yes. Revisions, yes. It's just, yes. Well, let's come before the Lord and pray. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word. Thank you, Lord, we can find instruction and we can learn how to live. We can learn how to praise you and worship you, but we can learn how to treat each other properly the way we're supposed to, learn how to live the way we should. Thank you, Lord, that you give us the instructions. We thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to take a breath. I had a pretty wild week. It was uh, not planned. And it's interesting how much you try to plan something, it just does not go the way you want it to sometimes. Um, so here we are. Um, I had planned on having a lot more time to study. I'm not making any excuses. I think what the Lord brought to my mind might be good, and I think this message is for somebody out there. And I'm and I'm and I'm very happy to oh, be here and be able to express what I uh, believe the Lord is 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 wanting us to do. And it's just a, a thrill to me to be able to serve God. Um, and, and have the opportunity. I never asked to be up here, and here I am, and I get to serve the Lord. And it's a, it's an honor and a thrill. No matter what happened this week, I'm so happy to be here right now. So, I have been studying Matthew uh, and Luke and just the Beatitudes in general for about four months now, uh, intensely every day for a couple hours a day, and. What I found was the Beatitudes, there's, there's no way I'm going to tell you everything. And I, I don't believe I'm going to have too many more opportunities since I only speak once a month. I'm probably not going to talk about the Beatitudes every time. So I felt the, the struggle I had, the challenge I had was to get some ideas together and not be all over the place. Because in three chapters of uh, Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus is speaking and uh, 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 the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, he has so much information to tell us, and there's so many things to learn that I don't know where to start, where to end, and so I think I might be a little bit all over the place. I apologize for that now. But I thought, how can I do this? And I've only really got one shot at this, so let's do this, and I'm going to not waste any more time. So let's get right into it. We're going to go right to chapter 7. I want to talk a little bit about everything, but chapter 7 is we're going to zero in on eventually. So chapter 7, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read, Judge not that ye not be judged. For with the judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with that measure ye meet, ye shall be measured, ye shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote, and that is in your brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thy own eye. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote in your eye, the little speck in your eye, when you have a beam in your own eye, you're, you, thou hypocrite. First take out the beam out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to cast out, uh, see clearly to cast out the mote that is in your brother's eye. And it also says, give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye the pearls, your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Now that's a lot. What we're gonna, what we're saying here though is, um, we need to not judge, but we need to judge. So we're gonna sort that out right now, hopefully. So the first thing I thought we could do is go back to Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. If you want to come with me. Proverbs chapter 8, if not, you can just listen. Proverbs chapter 8, and I'm not going to read all of it, of course, but we'll pick through it here. I want you to see Proverbs chapter 8, verse 12. The subject is wisdom. Wisdom. Verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. Prudence is, if you know, I always have to be reminded of this word. I don't use it often enough, but it's discretion. It's using good judgment. So wisdom dwells with using good judgment. That's the, the idea. Now, what is that? And here's the other thing. I'm sure that this is important to all of us, every single human being in this world. 
world. What makes us happy? We try all kinds of things. What makes us happy? Well, here's what makes us happy. If you go down to verse 32, what makes you happy? For blessed are they that keep my ways. Wow, that's, if I keep the rules, I'm going to be happy. Well, I don't know. Okay, but that's what makes you happy. That's what the word blessed means. Blessed is the man that heareth me. Hears, and right in between that verse 33, hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Refuse it not. What do you mean refuse it not? If I get good instruction, I'm just going to take it, right? No, well, human beings have this tendency to refuse good instruction. We all do it. And some of us more than others. But some, and you can go down to chapter 9 and verse 8, it says, Reprove not a scorner, lest he'll hate you. Lest he hates you, right? And, and what that means is, um, do you ever give somebody some advice and they just get angry at you? Like you were correcting them and how dare you correct them? Well, of course, that happens to all of us. And I think I've gotten mad at people when they corrected me. My, somebody, I'll be driving and I, you know, I drive for a living and my wife will say, you know, slow down or something like that, right? And I'll be like, what do you, don't know already? I'm a professional driver here, you know? How dare you correct me? And I mean, that's the way we are, right? I think Einstein said it like this, and I couldn't find the quote, but he said something like this. Don't give advice to somebody, because if they take it, even if it's good advice and they fail, they're going to blame you, right? They're going to blame you, and they're going to resent you for it. Oh, what does the other half say? So what I'm saying is we've got to be careful when we go around giving our advice. We have to be careful, and that's what it says about not throwing your pearls to swine and what not. But also, we have this tendency to refuse good information, so we have to look out for that as well, people that we talk to, right? But there's also this other person that if you rebuke him, in verse 8 of chapter 9, if you rebuke a wise man, he will love you. If you correct a wise man, he loves you for that. He'll be like, thank you, come and correct me again. I love it when you do that, right? That's a wise man. Maybe you're here today because you feel a little bit like that, right? You want to be a little bit wiser. And so, Matthew also, I mean, is talking about, so we're talking in Proverbs. Matthew is talking about the same thing. Blessed is a man, happy is a man that learns wisdom. And that's what the Beatitudes is. It's teaching, right? We see Jesus come and heal, and we're, we're, we marvel at that. But what we should be more marveled at, marveling at, is the teaching. The teaching is really, it applies to us. When we read this, when we learn this teaching, it applies to our lives, and it makes us learn how to live and grow happy. Teaching, the wisdom, the knowledge, the prudence, the discretion to know what to do, the good judgment that we get when we learn the teaching. We learn the right way opposed to the wrong way. And we learn, again, the right way. And the way Jesus does it here, and you'll see throughout, is the way the Pharisees do it. There's the right way, and he's going to use the Pharisees as an example to show us the wrong way. And he says in chapter 7, just a little later on, straight is the gate, and narrow is the way to life. Broad is the way to destruction. And that's the path that the Pharisees are on. Jesus starts off in chapter 5 in the sermon by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's in verse 3. Now, what is he saying? Blessed are you that are poor? No, 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 no. Not what he's saying. Blessed are you that have a problem? No. He's saying, blessed are you that realized you're poor. Blessed, that, blessed are you that are coming to understand that you have a problem. Blessed are you that realizes that continuing on with your life the way it is, is not a good thing. Blessed are you. That's what he's saying. Blessed are you that are poor in spirit. You realize your poverty. And what does poor in spirit mean? Well, it means that you don't know God. We don't know God. None of us know him enough. Some of us don't know him much at all. We don't know how to act. 
We don't know how to be right. We don't know how to be righteous, the Bible will say. And we don't know how to be happy. I mean, that's what he's saying. Blessed are you when you do this and that and the other thing. Well, you want to learn how to be happy? You want to find happiness? You've tried it a million ways, I'm sure. This is how you be happy. That's what being poor in spirit means. Did you realize that you lack these things? So, does Jesus say, yeah, you got a problem, you're poor? Is it, no. He answers the question on how you fix it, right? How do you fix these things? How do I fix this? Well, you have somebody come and teach you, first of all, who God is, what the right thing is to do, and teach you how to be happy. And that's what he does. He doesn't just say, oh, you're poor in spirit, and then walk away. He said, you're poor in spirit, and immediately, you know what he does? He starts to teach you. And he begins to undo the poverty. See? He says, you've got a problem, and this is the solution. I love that. Teaches us. Speaks with authority. You see in Matthew, a lot of times he'll say, as it is written, pointing back to the Old Testament, we should do the same. Point to the Bible. He uses the people around him to teach us. I mean, he's using me now. He uses his people to build his kingdom. Interesting how Rael brought that up. that He uses weak, inferior people to further his will and what he's doing. He teaches you about love through me, a man who barely knows what love is. Only know what love is because of him. He uses his spirit to do that. Jesus says here, blessed are the poor in spirit. He teaches, and then he shows us right away how to undo that. In the Beatitudes, he shows us who God is, how to be righteous, how you should act, and he shows us how to be happy. Also, the Beatitudes, we can learn some self-awareness and self-reflection. When you're a Christian, that is your daily job, is to look at yourself and to see what you can do to, to be a little bit better. You've got to learn the correct attitude and sometimes change it. You have to, when the world treats you badly, you, know how, you have to realize, you have to know how to react to the world. And he teaches us that. Teaches, teaches us God's moral standard, which is very high. He teaches us God's moral law, his holiness. And he also says, what is your motivation for doing these things? Is it because of me? Or is it because you're worried about what people think of you? Your religious activities, when you pray and you fast and you give, are you doing it because you want people to praise you? Or is it because you, you do it because of God? Do you realize the worthless, worthlessness of the things of this earth and the riches and the value of the things in heaven? Do you, do you realize the difference? That's what the Beatitudes is teaching you. It's also teaching you, us, about relationships with other people. Now, Jesus uses this word, hypocrite when he describes the Pharisees. He uses it, if I count it right, 14 times in Matthew, and um, you'll find it three times in chapter 6 here in the Sermon on the Mount. And the word hypocrite means um, that you would be practiced something, your practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which your behavior doesn't conform. You know, you, you say to do this, but you act a totally different way. That's what being a hypocrite is, and he uses that word a lot. You see the Pharisees will give, and then they'll sound a horn, so everyone will know that they gave something. They'll stand up praying so that everyone will hear their wonderful words. That's in verse 5 of chapter 6. They place more importance on the external morality, and they hold no regard to the internal workings of the heart. They could care less what God thinks. They pray and fast so that men can see them, right? 
That's what the Pharisees are doing. Also, they, they, they believe that blessings come from the material wealth of this world. And uh, Jesus, on con- and the contrast, points to the kingdom and, and says we should be storing up treasure in heaven, not here on earth. Sermon on the Mound. Jesus shows us the contrast between the truth and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and what they were doing. Now, at this point, you may feel an animosity towards them. I, I, I suggest you don't, because I believe that the Pharisees are there to show us who we are and what we need to guard ourselves against. They're not to be thought of as enemies. We're not to hold a disdain for them or look at them like they're inferior and we should maybe get rid of them or somehow. That's not the point. The point is, is that they reflect our fallen nature. They do the things that we have to guard our hearts from. And the world, when we leave here, can influence us. It's going to influence us. And we can think that money and fame and, and maybe even people talk well about us, we can start to think that those are the things that produce happiness or blessing. Jesus says, blessed are you when you realize that those things don't. Blessed are you that when you realize that the riches of this world are not going to satisfy you. and Nothing will satisfy you except for knowing God. You can celebrate a party every day of your life. Have all the money in the world. You're not going to be happy. You won't. Blessed are those who mourn and they realize this. Blessed are those who open their eyes and take a look at the suffering around us. And blessed are you when nobody sees you doing the right thing. Blessed are you that when you keep on serving and you suffer, you keep going. You know that your Father is watching. This is why you do it. This is what you believe, right? We all fail at this, and, and, and that's why we have to read the Beatitudes. We, we sometimes get angry and impatient, and we're not merciful, and we lust after the things of this world, and we're not humble the way we should, and don't love the people we should other people and don't keep our word and don't give for the right reasons and if you're like me you forget to pray all the time i'm always going back to my self-reliance and my own thinking and i have to remind myself continually to to pray and it goes on i mean there's more lots more but the distinct difference between what jesus is teaching and the contrast is is being a christian is that you pick up your cross daily and you work on walking with your cross, serving. A Pharisee is just looking out for himself. He's not worried about the damage of what is happening in the world. He's not worried about the damage that he himself is causing with his words or his deeds. Christians will take the opportunity when they're suffering to let their light shine before men, that they may glorify, that the men may glorify our good works, but not glorify us, glorify our Father which is in heaven. That's why I do what I do. And he also says that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. We get to chapter 7. He says, judge not that you should be judged. The Pharisees completely and utterly failed at this. They were critical everywhere they went, criticizing everybody because they weren't meeting their moral standards. They were judging in a hateful way and all the people around them, they condemned them, they criticized them. They're unkind, unforgiving, unmerciful. You look in John, the Pharisees walked around and said, they judge people by their appearance. I mean, we do that to this day. That's something that's never, ever going to stop. We prejudice judging people just by what they look like. Um, in Luke, I'm going to turn to Luke, 
chapter 16, a little bit more on what the Pharisees are like. Chapter 16, verse 14, and the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things and derided him. Jesus, they derided Jesus. That means they turned their nose up at him. They scoffed at him. And you know what he said? He said, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. That's what they are. They're worried about what men think. They don't care about what God thinks. If you turn over the page and you look at chapter 18 a little bit more, this is the parable of the Pharisee and the publican, right? And look at verse 9. Look who's talking, who Jesus is talking to. And he spoke this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves. And they thought they were righteous. And what goes along with that? They despised others. They thought they were righteous and they despised others. That's who Jesus is addressing this parable to. So, you think about it, there's these two men, just for a second here. This is a perfect example. The Pharisee, well, he's got a suit on, probably like me. Looks great. You know, um, regarded in the community probably as a highly high person in the community, whatever. Then you look at the publican. You know what a publican is? Tax collector. I know, you got you don't like paying taxes, but it's worse than that. He collected taxes for the Roman emperor or the Roman empire. That was the enemy. That was the one that the Romans were suppressing the Jewish people. So think about that. Somebody comes along and says, now you've got to pay your suppressor. You've got to pay your enemy. Wow, you wouldn't like that guy too much, would you? Oh, and to boot, he would take a little bit off the top for himself. So he'd ask you for more than what you were supposed to pay, and he would steal your money. That's what the publican was. Okay? Well, in the end here, Jesus says that the publican walked away justified. Why? Because he couldn't even lift up his head. What did he say? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he had a broken heart. What did the Pharisee say? The Pharisee said, stood there, prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extorters, unjust, adulterers, or even like this publican here. I'm not like this. Thank God I'm not like him. <sighs> He's boasting on his self-reliance and his self-righteousness. And guess what it does? It leads him to criticize everyone around him. This is what we have to be on guard for. And you know what else? As he's blind to see that he's just as wrong as the publican, which is worse. Do not judge means do not criticize others, especially when you're this guy. Don't condemn, don't criticize. And what I'm not saying is not judging doesn't mean don't go and further your understanding or grow in knowledge or, or try to understand the difference between good and bad. That's not what he's saying at all. You have to have judgment to make good decisions and avoid bad things. And But what he's saying, beware. Knowledge can lead to pride. Make you boast and think you're better than everyone else. Self-righteous hatred and then Criticizing. We're to be meek. What that word means, meek. It's not proud. Definitely not proud. But I, some people say, well, it's humble. You're to be humble. I think it's even a little bit different than humble. It's a bit of a different word. So what does it mean to be humble? Humble means you have nothing. And you should be humble. Some people are proud, even though they have nothing. They should be humble. Some people have something worth being proud of. So they are boastful and they're proud. They have something worth being proud of. Meekness is when you have something worth being proud of, but you act humbly 
See? We're to be meek. I heard somebody say this, and I, I don't know who it is. I wish I could find. He said it in a paragraph, and I, I can't remember everything he said. And he said it much better than I did, but he said something like this. Meekness is like the flower that grows from the grave of pride. Meekness is the flower that grows from the grave of pride. I had to kind of say that. He said it way better. But that's what it is. J.C. Ryle. Oh, excuse me. First. And so to be meek, we need to be meek in our relationships. It's very important that we need to be meek with one another. And when you read verses 4 and 5, we must have good judgment. If you're going to take out that moat in your neighbor's eye, you must have good judgment. You must be able to discern. You must judge for between good and bad. You must know. Judge not means don't be judgmental and condescending, egotistical, criticizing like those Pharisees did. J.C. Ryle speaks on this, and he says this, J.C. Ryle, what our Lord means to condemn is a censorious and fault-finding spirit, a readiness to blame others for trifling offenses or matters of indifference, a habit of passing rash and hasty judgments, a disposition to magnify the errors and infirmities of our neighbors and make the worst of them. This is what the Lord forbids. And it was a common practice that the Pharisees did. Right? And I'm telling you again, they were our example. We're not to be like this. Having a critical stance with people that we don't agree with. Don't get me wrong. We are to be wise as serpents. Matthew 10, he says that in a couple chapters. But we are to be also as gentle as a dove when we do it. And you say, well, should we just sit there and just love and not do anything? Absolutely not. Leviticus 19 verse 17 says, and I won't turn to it, says basically, if you say to your you love your brother or your neighbor and you let him go on sinning, you're sinning. If you claim to love and you never do anything, that's not love. Love is never not doing anything or saying anything. That's not love. And it's not criticizing or putting people down, but it's doing something. Not just anything, but using discernment and wisdom so that when you communicate the gospel to the world, you're communicating it with God's love. Love and truth always go together. You never have one without the other. It's always love with the truth, a truth, truth with the love. This is how we let our light shine before men. It's so that they might see your good works not glorify you. Glorify your Father in heaven. Is that what you want? He gets the credit. That's what I want. He deserves the credit. And if you're not a Christian today, just to say a word, He keeps His promises. Look in our text, if you just read the next verse. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Chapter 7, verse 7. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. Or what man, verse 9, what man is there of you whom, if his son asks for bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? God doesn't do that. He keeps his promises. He keeps his word. And anybody that's been a Christian for long enough knows that for a fact. And when you get down to verse 12, we need to follow this pattern of keeping our promises and being like him. And when you truly believe and you're a child of God, you 
build a relationship with him. It's one step at a time. And I don't say to you, if we were going to have a uh, a contest, and uh, Gary and I were going to walk to Newfoundland, and I get ten steps ahead of him, do I now turn back to Gary and say, Gary, what's wrong with you? I'm so much closer to Newfoundland than you are, yet I have 3,000 kilometers to go. Do I criticize Gary for being 10 steps behind me now? Or do I say, we're both a long ways away. But you can follow me. I know which way to go. I might not be very much farther ahead of you, but we can go together. Right? I don't need to criticize Gary. It wouldn't be right for me to do that. It would be silly. So, it's not doing it the world's way. It's not doing it your way. It's not doing my way. It's doing it his way. And part of being a Christian is having relationships with each other, but also with the lost. Because guess where all of God's people come from? Lost in the world. I'm going to finish with this. Um, Turn to uh, Proverbs again. Uh, Chapter 25 this time. In verse 11. Chapter 25 and verse 11. He starts off by saying, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Now, I don't know what that is. That's beautiful. I do get the meaning that a word fitly spoken is like saying the right thing at the right time to the right person. Right? You have to be ready for this. And he goes on and says, As an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reprover upon the obedient obedient ear. So, of course, you're looking for someone to listen to. You're not going to just talk to people when they don't want to hear you. I think that's what the obedient ear is. But the most important part is you're to be wise, right? Not only wise, a wise reprover. And you can't just sit there and do nothing. You have to learn how to do this. And in the end, you want to be faithful. Uh, what does he say? As the cold of snow in the time of harvest, so is a faithful messenger to them that sent him. For he refresheth the souls of his masters. Just as sure as the snow will fall in the harvest time, so a faithful messenger comes. You can count on him. And when he comes, he refreshes those that are around him. Right? That's what we're to do. That's the point. It doesn't matter who it is, neighbor, enemy. We're God's people. We're to shine a light in this world. It's a dark world. We're lights. Be a light. Let's pray. Help us, Lord, to glorify you in our our deeds, in our words. Help us to humble ourselves, Lord, to know that it is not through our power that we can do anything. Thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us with happiness. And you have shown us the right way to do things. Help us with your spirit. In Jesus' name. Living for Jesus. Living for Jesus. Glad-hearted and-
ask Michael to close in prayer, but just a reminder, it's six o'clock service this evening with Kirk Sinclair with us. Michael, please. Dear Lord, help us, Lord, to think of you as we go through this week, our challenges, and the people that we're going to meet. Keep us remembering what our 
job is here, and that is to tell the world about your son and how he saves souls. But to be kind and loving, do it in a way that respects others, but never let us neglect the fact that we need to say a word. Help us to help those who are lost. We pray for them. We pray that you give us your spirit this week. In Jesus' name.